0: Amen. The good paths. The past 11 weeks, we've been talking about the book of Hosea, a book many know for the wrath of God being poured out. But what we have seen is, even though it's a book of the wrath being poured out among the people of Israel, that it's a book actually highlighting the goodness of God. We've talked about many different attributes of the goodness of God, that he's jealous for us, that there's a dwelling place for us, that he is uh, a good promise keeper, that he has a good land for us. And tonight, going into this idea of good paths, I wanted to remind us of one of these attributes that I talked about four weeks ago, that there is something called the good wind of God, the winds of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is likened to wind in the Bible. Uh, Jesus compares the operation of Holy Spirit to the wind. John 3.8 says that the wind blows wherever it wants. You can't tell where it comes from or where it goes. That's how the Holy Spirit moves. You don't necessarily know everything Holy Spirit wants to do, but when Holy Spirit moves, we need to be in a place where we can move as the wind blows, if you will, move with Holy Spirit. The fact of the matter is, if there was no wind, the earth would be stagnant, that we would be unable to sail in the ocean, there would be no motion in the air, the leaves wouldn't blow, we would have stagnant seasons, and one thing we talked about was that if the church doesn't learn how to flow with the Holy Spirit, as in flowing with the wind, the church would become stagnant, obsolete, and motionless. Unfortunately, I believe that that is the status of most of the church today. We have services, we provide pastoral care, but there's no movement, if you will, in the city. There's no breakthrough. There's a bunch of people staying the same in the same revelation. People get saved, but the idea of people getting healed of sickness is a far-off concept. I believe we need to embrace the idea that if God is big and he's never-ending and he he, he is the first, the last, beginning, and the end, there is no end to any miracle that he wants to do. And I believe that we are developing a people in Savannah who want to flow with him as he wants. However, in the idea of flowing with the winds of the Spirit, we also discuss the idea that there's a good wind, but there's also the bad wind, the wrong wind. And we don't need to get caught up in chasing the wind. I think that's where a lot of churches can get, especially the charismatic expression, we want to chase the we want to chase a manifestation of god and what happens when you chase a manifestation we we forget that we should just be in a posture of worship so that when he wants to manifest we recognize it versus chasing something instead of simply worshiping him we don't want to chase a movement we want a movement to be birthed Uh, Mr. John said something about the birth canal I talked about Wednesday. I I know a lot of you weren't there, but this is basically the idea. God has designed each of you with a purpose, with a thing to be birthed into the earth. And everything that we do, everything that we have, every assignment, if you will, is a birth canal to the thing that needs to be birthed. The fact of the matter is, some of you may be in the career that God called you to be, some of you may not be. Either way, God says, let me use that as the birthing canal for what I want to do through you. Your purpose may not be Gulfstream, but Gulfstream is the birth canal to the thing that you are to bring into the world. Because there's people at Gulfstream that I will never get to, but you will. He's got a purpose for all of us. He's got a, he he has has his thing in you. And if we would just learn to submit to him and worship him, he would reveal when it's time to make moves, if you will, and how to deliver whatever that thing is. The issue with chasing the wind is that we get caught up in the manifestations. We get caught up in a move instead of simply getting caught up in the glory and splendor of the Father. Why am I talking about this? Hosea 12, verse 1 starts with this. The people of Israel feed on the wind. Let me read that in today's terms. The church feeds on the wind. They chase after the east wind all day long. They pile up lies and violence. They're making an alliance with Assyria while sending olive oil to buy support from Egypt. Something interesting about the east wind, the east wind in Palestine at the time came from Arabia and the Far East. So when the wind would move into this area, it would move over large tracts of sand, large large areas of waste. It was very destructive to the vegetation, much like the cold that came through last weekend. It was oppressive to the people. Some of y'all, y'all just need to loosen up tonight. It was oppressive to the people. It was destructive to the sea. It was destructive to the land. When the land came, when the winds came from the east, it wasn't exactly a good thing for the area. And the people of Israel, or the people of God, they were feeding on what the, what the scripture says God is telling them: "You guys are feeding on the wrong wind." You're chasing after this thing, and the thing you're chasing after is simply bringing lies and violence, and you're making alliances, you're making treaties, because he's saying, church, you get so hungry for a new thing that you will come into agreement with anything. You're so hungry for a new move that you will embrace anything because it's new. And we have to learn how to discern what new is good and what new is not. What new is for the glory of God, and what new is for the destruction of man? And I believe the church is at a crossroads, especially in America, where we have to understand in 2023, we are not going to chase the wind. We are going to pursue a new level of intimacy with Father God, and whatever He wants to do, because we know Him so well, because we hear Him, because we speak to Him, we'll be able to say yes and move with that manifestation. The scripture is very clear in Corinthians. When God does something, it's in order and it's not confusing. So I have an issue with every move of God that confuses people. There should be such a level of glory among the people of God, that is the glory of God, that people may not understand what's going on, but they will turn their eye to say, what is that? What is going on there? Not necessarily a confusing thing, but there is something going on that is shifting the atmosphere that cannot be explained. I think sometimes we get too, I myself am guilty of this, we get too caught up in trying to explain everything instead of understanding that some things are meant to simply be a mystery. And I am learning myself to not try to get caught up in I need to understand it. I just want to say yes to it. I want to say yes to the things going on in Relentless Church, that people are getting healed without elders laying their hands on them. But what we do is we, read, we look in the Bible in letters that were written thousands of years ago to a people trying to set order in specific cities and in specific churches, and we say, well, that order must be the order and nothing can operate outside of it. Moving with the winds of Holy Spirit is I am so seeking relationship with Father God that if he wants to do something new, as long as it lines up with his character and who he is, we'll say yes. Yeah. Is this okay? Yeah. <clears throat> they are coming into an agreement with anything. And when you come into agreement with anything, the things not of God results in exactly what the Scripture says. Lies. Violence, alliances with, with, with enemies. Because we don't put our trust in God, we're putting trust in what the winds bring. Because sometimes the winds of life, if you will, will bring a, a good deal or a good payoff, a good treaty. Oh, that relationship must be of God. And we don't weigh whether or not it's from God, we just look at the logical advantage. So we say, yes. We have to be a people that not say yes to everything, but weigh everything in the midst. That the only things we want to agree with come from the Father. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 is a very popular scripture, but I want to shed some light on it. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, all of them, all of them. You know, this time of year is when you start hearing the talk of you know, I'm so committed to God, God will give me that one thing. And the one thing is not exactly a good thing. Like, God knows my heart, he'll give me this one. He says, no, 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 you don't get a break from acknowledging me in all. He, he's, in all of your ways, he says, acknowledge me. Everything you do. And he will, here's where I want to put some light. He will make your paths straight. The quickest path, if you will, the quickest path between two points is a straight line. We all know that. But here's the thing I want to show you tonight. Quickest is not always best. And what we do is because we know the logical sense of between two points, the quickest is the best, we will not say yes to God's way, we say yes to logic. It happens in church. We don't like to simply embrace small and develop family. We spend thousands upon thousands of marketing trying to convince people that we're godlike. Not saying that that's just wrong, but it's not everyone's path, right? Maybe it is wrong, but I don't know. Not for this house. The quickest way is not always the best way. God says, No matter the path, lean on me. Don't, I was about to start going there when you're not strong. He says, lean on me, not on your own understanding, and I will make the path that I give you the best path. And your understanding always says quickest way is the best way, but God says, I will make the most ridiculous path be quicker than the straight. Because I will make it as if it was. It may not make sense to you in your mind. But God says, I want you to be transformed and renew your mind. How do you renew your mind? Trust in his way above yours. And if we would spend more time wrapped in his presence by way of relationship, we would begin to be a people making decisions that are inspired by God rather than logic. There's nothing wrong with logic, but it shouldn't be our lead. You know what logic does? It douses spiritual gifts in the church. Because it's logical that we don't need spiritual gifts if Jesus left. That's the idea. We use human reasoning. Well, he's coming back and we just got to endure until he comes back. No, no, no. He left so he can multiply himself in you. So that the people of this area would see an image of God in sons and daughters. The church has developed a culture where we get God-like in a corporate gathering. I believe the true movement of God looks like people will see the people of God. And this happens to be the place where we come to get trained and equipped to go out and be. Not the place where we come to get saved every weekend. That is what God is shifting in the church. He says, spend your time being wrapped up in me. And I will begin to show you ways that are beyond your understanding. But it takes trust. You see, essentially, Israel told this to God. They said, God, you're good. You've taken us out of Egypt. But Assyria and Egypt, they've got something a little bit better to offer. They seem a lot more stronger because they trusted in the understanding of treaties that seemed good versus wait on the Lord. <coughs> versus worship Him alone and don't make idols. They started to trust in their own understanding. They weren't abiding in the Lord. In verse 2, it says this. Now the Lord is bringing charges against Judah. He's about to punish Jacob for all his deceitful ways and pay him back for all he's done. Even in the womb, Jacob struggled with his brother. And when he became a man, he even fought with God. Some trans that translations of the scripture actually use a little bit of a different language it says that Jacob struggled with his brother but the more accurate language actually says this Jacob took his brother by the heel in the womb Jacob took his brother by the heel in the womb you see in ancient Israel there was a term often used to describe someone who achieved their goals through a dishonest means someone that kind of uh trip their way or, or, or use their um, abilities to deceive people. They, they, they would double deal. It was someone who would do anything to get ahead, even if it meant tripping someone up. This term actually was the same meaning as the name Jacob, and the term was called this, a heel catcher. So when it's talking about Jacob in the womb taking his brother by the heel, it's putting an identity on Jacob as what they called a heel catcher. So for Jacob to take his brother by the heel meant to go behind someone and deceive them or trick them. That was Jacob's main characteristic. God says, "Israel, that was Jacob, and now it's you. You're doing anything you can to deceive people into believing that what you're doing is right, that what you're doing is the best." God says, "I lay out a path for you to bring you into all the things that I have planned for you." You see, this is how predestination works. Predestination is not God has has caused or planned everything in your life to happen. I don't want to worship that God. Is this okay? For people that go through abusive situations, I will not worship a God that God said I planned for that to happen to build her testimony. What predestination is? I God says I have predestined each of you with a purpose. And I have given you the free will to say yes or no. And along that way, people are saying no to theirs and affecting you. And he says, if you will trust in me, I will make all of these crooked paths that I never planned for you be straight. I will not allow what has happened in a sinful world to affect what I have called you to birth. He says... I have predestined you to be conformed to my image and I will do anything in my power to see it. All I need is your yes. I laid out a path for you to bring all these things that I have planned for you. But this is what he says to Israel. Instead of trusting in me, you're taking this into your own hands. And you're doing anything you can to get ahead because you don't trust the path that may seem like a disadvantage to you by your logic. Proverbs 4, 25-27 says this. Look straight ahead. Fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following from evil. Straight paths have less to do with time and more to do with where your eyes are fixed. Straight paths have less to do with time and more to do with where your eyes are fixed. What does it start out saying? Look straight ahead. Fix your eyes on what lies before you. Because when you fix your eyes on him and get lost in a relationship with the Father, the length of the path that he takes you no longer matters because your eyes are not on the path. Your eyes are on the Father. So no matter where he takes you, even if it's by means of a little bit longer in years or a little bit longer in months or a little bit more time, you don't even worry about it, see it, or be affected by it because your eyes are not on the surroundings of your path. Your eyes are on the Father. So no matter where that path may take you, the biggest enemy or the biggest mountain does not look big to you because your eyes are on the one who conquers all. And I say to you, if you're at a place in life where you're trying to walk a path and it's hard, I will say to you, check where your eyes are gazed. Because even the hard becomes endurable because your eyes are not fixed on how hard it is. Your eyes are fixed on he is so good. Your eyes are fixed on I want him. And you will go wherever your gaze is set on. Look, look, look at this. Two verses before this, he says this in 20 21. My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart. He says, keep focused on what I say and let my words guide you. I don't know what to do in this next place in my life. Keep your eyes on his words. And every place of decision... It's not letting me make the right decision so that I can be found not sinful. Because he already sees you as not sinful. He sees you as perfect, a spotless bride. He says, Fix your eyes on me so that you'll be so convinced of that, that that wherever you go, you will make decisions that line up with true identity. He says, Get lost in my words. Get lost in my ways so that every decision you make lines up with the you that you should see in my eyes. We have got to get out of this notion that we are an imperfect people who don't deserve. We were until he bought us back with his Son. And left so that we could be conformed to his image. And and that image multiplied in the earth. He says, get lost in who you are. How do I get lost in who I am? Fix your eyes on the Father. Any moment that you say, I am not good enough, I can see where your gaze is. How dare you say you're not good enough when he makes you good enough? Because the idea of I'm not good enough holds everyone back. The kids just shouted amen. We do it all the time. God puts an assignment on you and we say it in the church. I'm not ready. God doesn't care if you're ready or not. If he gives you an assignment, he knows what will happen along the pathway to that thing. When he told Noah to start building a big boat, I believe there was much more learning in the process than there was in the moment. Can you imagine if, well, I, I don't know how to build, I don't, I don't have the plans. This is what we do. I don't know how to do it, God. I've never done this before. I haven't gone through the schooling. I'm not good enough. I've got this thing in my life that i got to clean up. God says, if you would fix your gaze on me, you will understand that the path I'm leading you on will lead you out of the things that you say make you not ready. But what does church do? Church says, get right so that you can walk. Jesus says, I have made you right. Now get your eyes fixed on it. Yeah, it is. God created us to have a need for him. But oftentimes we try to satisfy the desire to depend on him with something that's more tangible. And we call it God. We were created to want to feast and be satisfied. You know, we, we, all, we, we have these desires. You have one of two choices. It can be satisfied in him or satisfied by your hand. And when you satisfy it by your hand, it's often called sin. Because it's not the thing necessarily that he wanted for you. You try to to grab it. Why do you think Jesus is called the bread of life? Because he says the only thing that should satisfy your desires is feasting on me. John 6.35, Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You, you, You have hunger and thirst for desires so he says fix your eyes on me and I will make sure that you are sustained in every desire in the right way mm-hmm. you ever realize that the, the, the desire is not necessarily the bad thing it's what you do to accomplish the desire oh. but th- think about getting drunk you want to you escape the pressure what's the desire I want to escape the pressure God says I've got a way but you you grab it by your own hand. Anything, any sin, think about it. It's not necessarily desire. It's how you get it. We, 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 We manipulate, we abuse it, we pervert it. He says, make decisions from this bread. And if you start to make decisions with this bread that sustains, you'll never go hungry. You'll never thirst, no matter how long the path is, because every path is good, even if it's long. Because the thing about my God, if He, if 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 He if He has the creation of the world down to the science of an atom and a cell, trust me, He knows why He needs you to go a little bit longer. He's intentional. He knows where you need to go and where you need to experience to become more like you than embrace the false identity of you that, quite frankly, is all of us right now. We are continually being transformed into the likeness of his image. So fix your eyes on him. Not you. Not your shortcomings. When you fix your eyes on your shortcomings, you tell God every reason that's a why you can't. Fix your eyes on him. Fix your eyes on his word. I'm going to show you an example of paths because we we love to get the, the best accomplishment, the most logical solution. But there's actually a story in the Bible that brings about the principle of Trusting him in the path. It's a very popular story, but in John 4, 1 through 7, it says Jesus knew the Pharisees heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria. Everyone shout Samaria. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. And soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, "Please give me a drink." Now, many of us know the story as the story of the woman at the well. Jesus meets this woman at the well. The woman realizes this man's asking for water is the Son of God. She goes back and tells the whole village. There's a whole conversation like we, you know, you you a Jew, we a Gentile. We don't associate with each other. What you want our water? Why you here? What you doing here? All right. She goes back and tells the whole village about this encounter with Jesus after, you know, she he, he read her mail, if you will. And he says she says I've encountered the Messiah. And many ended up coming and they accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. But here's what I want to show you in this. The path between Judea and Galilee didn't have to be through Samaria. In fact, there were multiple routes. To Galilee. And the reason that they would not have gone through Samaria is because Jews didn't associate with Samaritans. Samaritans did not want to associate with Jews. So Jesus is bringing his disciples along this path that logic said, don't go that way. You know what's coming. It was the least inviting pathway, and along this particular path, all that happened was that Jesus sat down because he was thirsty, and then someone came to the well thirsty as well, and Jesus says, I'm about to show you what the fulfillment of thirst really is, and she was so fulfilled, you want to talk about women in ministry, she went back and preached and got a whole town saved. Is that all right? is that Okay. If if y'all need some ammo, just, there you go. All because he took them down a more difficult path. It was a good path, not because it was easy, but because there was purpose. Jesus was led by the Spirit, led by the wind, if you will, and God had a plan. We've got to stop using logic to say yes to every path or no to paths and start using logic as an accompaniment to faith living, following God no matter where the path is. Think about logic with faith. Faith was we're going to go through this path of Samaria. Logic, I'm thirsty. Okay, I'll have a drink. I'm hungry. I'll get some food. Nothing wrong with logic, but don't let logic be the lead always. It's whatever God wants of me, wherever he wants to take me, because my eyes are not on my understanding, my eyes are on the Father. My eyes are when I worship this morning, when no one saw me, I felt him say this, or I felt him uh, uh, speak to me this. Devin had a, a, a dream, or can I share this it's too late now. devin had a had a vision earlier she was she she said she was praying over the worship, which that was good to hear that one of the worship leaders was like praying and um <laughs> that came out wrong, all of them pray (laughs) she was praying over the worship set and she got this vision it was uh, uh, trees with a lot of fruit on it and uh, actually let let me just read it to how she (laughs) sent it because I'm going to mess this up where in the, okay there we go she says it was a huge apple tree full of fruit ready for nourishment but the fruit wasn't falling until the entire tree began to shake now do y'all remember what one of these words was up here it, a shaking from the praise of the people. They didn't have any knowledge of that. You know what that is? Being obedient to share a crazy vision in the middle of prayer about worship. And then other crazy people saying stuff that wasn't planned in their notes. And for some reason the crazy looked same. Alignment. And it says that when the tree began to shake, the fruit began to fall. And the fruit fulfilled the purpose of nourishing to the sleeping, the broken, and the hungry. We have got to realize and be awakened. You want us come? To- <laughs> we've, 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 we've got to realize and be awakened to the truth that where our, our money may be able to feed many, so will our praise. But praise cannot be limited to once a week. It's every word that proceeds from your mouth. Words of life, not death. The thing that can encourage someone to get out of their hunger is you simply, for some reason, you felt like the Lord wanted you to speak to them and say, hey, it's not over and I believe in you because they never heard it from mom and dad. You never know what that inkling is. And you never know why that day he led you to that place in the good path. When Jesus spoke in parables, the disciples always asked him, why do you teach them in parables but give it to us straight? Matthew 13, 11, he replied, you are not, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. Why were they permitted? They followed him. They put their trust in him. They left everything they knew, their careers, their religion. Because for some reason, when they saw Jesus, there was something, before he even told them, I am Messiah, there was something about him that caused them to follow. Now, we're on the other side of that where we know that Jesus is Messiah, and yet we treat it so casually. And how casual you treat it, I can show you where your eyes are. The one lesson that I have come to realize so far at this point in my life is that if I would just trust whatever he has, no matter what it is, it's going to be good. And it's such a simple message, but it's so hard for us to embrace. It's so hard for us to embrace the idea when God says, sacrifice that desire you have and what everyone's coming into agreement with for a different one. Yet he's good. Yet he's great. Right? Trust. Trust in his path. They followed his path. Instead of the past, they grew to new. And before you know it, in three years, they were preaching. Tongues of fire were appearing above their heads. They were healing people. Can you you imagine what it would have been like to see Jesus show up in a room with holes in his hands and his feet? All because they were willing to follow. Paul the Apostle says this to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 2, starting in verse 6. When I am among mature believers, I do speak with words of wisdom, but not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world or the rulers of this world who are soon forgotten. No, the wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God. His plan, now here, listen, that was previously hidden. You know what that means? It ain't hidden no more. Yeah. Even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began, but the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified our Lord Jesus. Believers, listen to a foolish talk from God and call it wisdom. Because through a logical worldly view, wisdom will look foolish. Here's what I mean. People who follow him will make decisions that don't seem right to the world. Like a worldly logic of save every penny versus a spiritual logic of tithe. A worldly logic of put up walls to protect yourself versus a kingdom logic of bless, love, and serve. A a logic, if you will, of waiting on God means to sit still and don't do a thing until God shows up. When kingdom actually says waiting as as a waiter waits on his table, wait on the Lord, serve, steward. Right? It, It doesn't seem logical. But it, but but it's it's the principles of the kingdom. It is the culture of heaven working in you. The kingdom of heaven is not a thing. The kingdom of heaven is a people. The kingdom of heaven is a people walking as He tells us to walk. I want to see the kingdom. Walk it. Good paths do not always look the most logical through a worldly lens but see what God would do through you if you would just say yes to his way rather than embracing foolish winds that promise you the world through any other means than the glory of God. The prophet Hosea, he's recalling the struggle between Jacob and God in Genesis 32. Jacob was all about deception, tricking, getting ahead, doing whatever he could. He even wrestled God with his own strength. Look look what Hosea says in these next two verses verses 4 through 6. He wrestled with the angel and won referring to Jacob. Did you just hear that? He wrestled and won. I've heard so many people try to interpret that. I'm going to give you the right way tonight. <laughs> or the right way for this message. That is that is that good. He wept and pleaded for a blessing from him. There at Bethel, he met God face to face, and God spoke to him, the Lord God of heaven's armies, the Lord in his name. So now come back to your God. Atward love and justice always depend on him. Hosea is putting emphasis on two important details of Jacob's struggle. He wrestled. He won. And then he wept and he pleaded. He wrestled and won. Then he wept, and he pleaded. How did Jacob win a wrestling match with God? It was his revelation of surrender. He wrestled with God and won because he understood that he had to plead. He understood that he needed God. How did he win the match? He had a revelation of what he needed. Jacob came to a place where he knew that he had to plead for a blessing from God. So God says, just like that, Israel, come back to me and depend on me. You want to wrestle all day? This will be the victory of your wrestle. Realize you need me. Realize you can't do it alone. Realize you need to set your eyes. I'll read the account if you, in Genesis 32 with, the, with, the, with the, the struggle. In verse 28, it says, your name will no longer be Jacob. The man told him. From now on, remember, what did Jacob mean? A heel, heel catcher, deceiver, trickster. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. What, how did he win? He realized he needed God. He saw his true identity in his need. If you're having an issue with finding out what God wants you to do in your life, here's the answer. Realize you can't do it without him. So Stop trying. It's not prayed to mark off the I prayed. It's the I realize I cannot get through my day successfully without having a conversation. And I'm not even saying prayer has to be five minutes in the morning. It could be a posture of prayer. I'm not going to get into the religious rhetoric of have a 10-minute devotional. That works for some people. Can I be honest with you? I don't do 10-minute devotional. I do pretty much all day. Let's let's not make it all religious, right? Let's understand that there is a seeking posture for every one of you that's good as long as you're seeking him. Is that okay? Okay. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob. You realize what just happened there? Jacob wanted blessing and when he realized he couldn't do it without God, He got it. Look what happens in verse 30. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. He never said, I'm God. He realized it was God because his needs were met. Israel here most accurately means God rules. So what is the principle going on? You can wrestle all day with what you want to accomplish. But I will rename you God rules because you have won in the realization that you need God for everything. He he, he says, if you will seek me and set your eyes on me, I will show you everything you need to do. And it all starts with one Revelation, God rules. God rules in everything I do. So when you give yourself to a task, if it's not giving glory to God, it's probably not the path. I will prophesy this over everyone today. Places of struggle. If you would be sustained by his bread, by him meeting your need, the place you struggle will be renamed in 2023 as the face of God. Because you would no longer see the struggle, you would see the need for right bread. Every one of us have a struggle. How did Jacob win? He saw his need for God. He saw his need for bread. In your struggle... Understand, you are not alone, and you are never meant to fight it alone. The way you're meant to fight it is surrender to his way. Whether it's a struggle of debt, a struggle of identity, a struggle of making relationships right, a struggle of forgiveness. He says, if you would let me be the sustainer in all of those things, You will understand what path to take. We complicate it too much, y'all. He says, I got a good path for every situation. I got a good path out of every situation, and it's all about my glory. So set your eyes on him, and he will make your path straight. Through Hosea, God tells the people through all these examples, come back to me. Walk in love. Walk in justice. Depend on me. Verse 7 says this. But no, the people are like crafty merchants selling from dishonest scales. They love to cheat. Israel boasts, I'm rich. I've made a fortune all by myself. No one has caught me cheating. My record is spotless. Hosea prophesies. He says, in your greatest day of prosperity, you're spiritually and morally dead. But you're judging your worth based off of what your hands can touch and the stuff that you can buy. Other translations of the scriptures say it like this. Israel speaking, in all of my labors, they shall find no iniquity in me that is sin. You, the, the, the people of God said, in my labor, they won't find sin. In all I do, they won't find anything bad. Because it shifted from eyes on God. It shifted from God sustain me. It was, look at what I did. Look at what I do. Don't be deceived that you're good because of what you're accomplishing. The question is, am I giving glory to God in all I do and in all I receive and in all I accomplish? And the evidence of where you give glory can be heard in your talk and be heard in your praise. I'm, get, I'm, getting, I'm getting toward the end. Titus 2, 11 through 14. The grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. We are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, cleanse us, to make us his very own people totally committed to doing good deeds. His good path he lays out creates a culture of kingdom living so that people will see the glory of God revealed in us. How? Living in an evil world following a different path. Look at what it says. It says, while we look forward with hope to a day when we will all see the glory. Where your eyes are locked will be revealed in the path you walk in. Where your eyes are locked reveals the path you walk in. Because if your eyes are locked on him, he will not lead you into paths of sin. He will not lead you into paths that steer you on the wrong course. This should encourage you. This shouldn't make you feel bad. Why? Because it's an easy way of how to get on the right path. If you're walking in a way in your life that is opposite of God, here's your answer. It's not a 45-minute deliverance altar call. It's fix your gaze. You know what deliverance really is? It's helping you to fix your gaze. What are you being delivered from? A false path, a false leading. Fix your eyes on Him. Not on the eyes of what mom and I don't know why I keep saying this, not on the eyes of what mom and dad said when you were little, not on the eyes of what that coach spoke against you. Not don't set your eyes on those things. Set your eyes on him. Verse nine. I am the Lord your God, who rescued you from slavery in Egypt. I will make you live in tents again as you do each year in the festival of shelters. I sent my prophets to warn you with many visions and parables, but the people of Gilead are worthless because of their idol worship. And in Gilgal, too, they sacrifice bulls. Their altars are lined up with like heaps of stone along the edges of a plow field. He says, You're enjoying all this, aren't you? God says, You've got all these nice homes, you've got this nice stuff, you've got these beautiful altars you built in the church. He says, but I will bring you to a place where you will live in humble tents again. You see, the festival of shelters, also known in Hebrew as sukkah, is in the Latin is the Feast of Dwelling. The purpose was to remind them of dwelling in God's holy place. So this is what God's telling the people. He says, oh, you're all about the memory of dwelling. Don't allow, you don't allow the memory to be a call of a lifestyle. He says, you have a feast once a year to remember dwelling with me. I don't want you to just have a feast once a year, people. He says, I want you dwelling with me, period. Christians do it today. Whether you want to call it Easter or resurrection gathering, it's he saved me, and you visit that idea once a year. It's New Year's. I get to create a new resolution. That's probably not a once-a-year visitation. Because in the tent of dwelling, he will continually reveal right path, wrong path, right way, wrong way, good. It, it, y'all get what I'm saying? He says, oh, you've got the altars built. But your glory is in building the altar rather than living as a sacrifice you would bring to an altar. Good past look like the place where God dwells, meaning this. Your life is a tent of dwelling rather than a visitation of tents. But that's what people do. I need to get in the glory. My question is, why ain't you dwelling in it? I need to get to this service so I can get the glory. That's where you should be dwelling. You just come into a tent meeting? Amen? Mm. Verse 12. I'm going to close out Hosea. I hope this has been good tonight. Jacob fled to the land of Aram. And there he earned a wife by tending sheep. And then by a prophet, the Lord brought Jacob's descendants out of Egypt. And by the prophet, they were protected. But the people of Israel have bitterly provoked the Lord. So they're listening to this. So their Lord will now sentence them to death in payment for their sins. God's showing them, Jacob had an exile when he fled from Esau to go to his uncle Laban in Aram, or Syria, in some Galatians. And he says, now there's going to be an exile of Israel. God says, I have sent prophets to Israel. Jacob and his descendants were brought out of the slavery, out of the suppression, by way of the prophet. But now, he says, my church has rejected my words. So he says, I'm going to sentence you to death to pay for your sins. You know what the death is? I'll leave you in your guilt and allow you to walk in Egypt slavery. God does that today. Oh, you, want, you don't want to walk in my path? You, 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 want, you want to dwell in your own glory? That's fine. Here's your death sentence. Live in that bondage that I freed you from. But the key is it's not God's choice, it's yours. It's ours. It's not, why has God put this on me? It's, why have you dwelled there and not in his dwelling place? God does not want us to live in a land of oppression, hurt, and pain. He wants us to walk, he, he, he wants us to walk in a good path set before us that leads us into all intended purposes for our life, which is to give him glory. He doesn't want us to, to, to be a people that, that, that live by manna. He doesn't want us to be a people that live in in the wilderness depending on any good thing, depending on a miracle. He wants us to go into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Can I just say this really quick? Where God wants us to get to is not a land of miracles. It's the place of total restoration where we are no longer in need of a miracle. But what happens in the church is we create a culture of people depending on an altar call instead of teaching them how to walk in the kingdom of heaven where they become the ones giving the altar call. We get there by setting our eyes on him and walking the good path. I say let this year, 2023, be a year where we cling to his past in all things no matter what the path may present because we know he's good. We know his plans for us are good. Plans to prosper us. Plans, Plans to raise up a people that this city needs. Not a people that would slander each other or fight over theological issues. Jesus took care of that all the time. He's like, yeah, I get it. You're Jews. You're Gentiles. Believe in me. He wants a people to come together to say we are obsessed with one thing, dwelling in him so that his glory is seen throughout the earth. Good paths, good path living. Set your eyes on him. Set your gaze on him. I say to you tonight throughout this message, if anything was revealed in you that made you go, my eyes are not there, don't end this year by beating yourself up. Because I can tell you right now, that is not of Holy Spirit. I encourage you. He showed you something because he loves you that much. He showed you something because he wants you to understand that he has purpose for for you. And that thing he showed you is going to hinder your purpose. It's not about let me get my sin right. It's about I want to walk into my predestined image, which has nothing to do with sin. Good path. He loves you. He's got plans for you. When we walk into 2023, we have got to get out of this culture that the man in the pulpit has more anointing than the person in the seat. The scripture says that, the, that, that he is going to equ- build the church and equip them with the apostles, the prophets, the pastors, the teachers, and evangelists. That means they are not to do everything from here. We are to equip you so that when you go out there, what, what the glory of God is seen is not in a sermon. It's in a lifestyle. So let's walk into 20 and 23 saying, God, we're setting our eyes on you and we embrace your good paths. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Can we give God praise?